0: I am keenly aware that as a person who teaches the scriptures, that I am held to a higher standard. And therefore, I not only hope, I want to get it right. A lot of pastors and preachers, their uh, style for preparing for the sermons is to prepare Saturday night and then give their presentation and i'm not saying it doesn't work for them and i'm not saying that their message are not better than mine But i'm going to tell you why what i do this message was prepared two or three weeks ago after i gave the last message i start thinking and meditating and rereading this passage so that i have little excuse To get it wrong. I can't say, well, I didn't have time Saturday night because something came up. And I say that because what I'm going to speak on this passage is different than the commentaries that you will have seen, different from the questions that you will have asked, and I'm not saying they're not legitimate questions, they are, and we'll deal briefly with them. But it seems that the commentaries which I look at after i I think to make sure I'm kind of at least on the right road, um, is to uh, look at them. And there are times, and this is one where, in my not-so-humble opinion, I think they majored on the minors. Just as last time we took a look at the three parables that Jesus taught, that he is speaking to the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes and other religious leaders that I said I think everybody's got it wrong and you know that's pretty hubris of me to say the the point of the parables was not about the lost sheep was not about the lost coin it was not about the prodigal son but it was about God the father that God seeks and receives those that are lost and even those Who have the wrong attitude and so today is again one of those situations where i am going to depart from or at least emphasize what they do not do so if you disagree with me that's your right to have your opinion and in my humble opinion you have the right to be wrong but we'll take a look at luke chapter 16 starting with verse 1 and 2 and we'll go from there. We're just going to take a look at 13 verses. Now, he was also saying to the disciples, so I want you to notice the shift. The previous three parables were given to the religious leaders, those who just didn't see. Now he's turned his attention and is speaking to his disciples. So we need to remember that. So he's talking to his disciples. And then he says, there was a rich man who had a manager and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. Now I want you to notice that the same English word, which is also the same Greek word that was used about the prodigal son who squandered his inheritance. You see, this manager didn't just do whatever, he squandered his Managers, his owner's possessions. And so that's the situation. It wasn't a matter of, of making great or terrible investments. He squandered it. And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. So he's fired. The master goes, I've heard, And notice he doesn't offer a defense. He just says, you're fired. I've heard about it. Now you have, you're ceased to be employed, but you're going to render me an accounting of what you've done. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me, I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. So he he comes to a realization. He goes, Okay. I used to have a cushy job, it was an office job. I get to get to be on the highest floor and look out over the city and it was cool and I had air conditioning, all of a sudden, now I've lost that job and I'm, I'm not strong enough to dig. They're, they're obviously not gonna hire me for that. And he goes, in essence, I have too much pride. I'm ashamed to beg because what's gonna happen is if he holds out that sign on the exit of the 405, people are gonna say, But didn't you manage the rich guy's money? So not only is he poor, but everybody's going to know who he was. So he's ashamed of it. So he knows he has a problem. So what does he do? I know what I shall do. So that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So he comes up with a plan. This is the plan. And he summoned each of the one of his master's debtors. And he began saying to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. Notice it's not money, it's, it's product. He goes, I, own 100, I owe a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. He cut it in half. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write down 80. Now, I want you to first understand that he just gave two examples. The mismanaging manager did this to all the debtors. Now, why would he do that? We're going to see. But the reason he would do it is that you might give, forgive one or two people But the odds are greater if you forgive everyone that somebody's going to treat you well, that somebody's going to appreciate what you've done. And so his plan is, and so his plan is in essence to forgive so that when he's out of a job, people will look kindly on him and help him out. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly now. Here's the problem that everybody takes a look at. They go, "Yeah, but but he ripped off his the master." Well, if he's worried about ripping off the master, he wouldn't have squandered the money to begin with. It's a little late to be ethical. Next, I want you to notice that some people will say, "Well." You know, it just bothers me that this guy is, and that he's going to get praise for it. So some people come up with an explanation and say, well, what he did was he reduced his commission. Now we lawyers call that assuming facts not in evidence. There is nothing in this parable that says he did that. He reduced the bill that his man, that the master was old, And everybody's going, yeah, but it's... But I don't understand, I don't get it. It's because we're starting to major on the minors. The point isn't... Here's the point. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relationships to their own kind than the sons of light. The point is not that the mismanagement reduced all these things. The point is, is that the people of this world know how to act in this world, but the people who are in the kingdom don't have a clue. He's saying, this guy goes, okay, I have a problem. I can't work hard and I don't wanna beg. So I'm gonna forgive everybody so that when I forgive everybody, Somebody or some somebodies or a number of somebodies will treat me kindly and I'll have a decent life. He says he's acting shrewdly. And you can see that in, in worldly You can go to any job you've ever had. And some people will act shrewdly. And shrewd to me is a little kind of negative, but it's also a, a sense of being keen or being um, specific on. On what you're, that you're astute in what you're doing. And there are some people who they think they're shrewd or astute, and they're not. And I'll tell you why they're not. Because you know at your office or your workplace, there are some people who do what people call suck up. Or the less nice term, brown nose. And everybody goes, you're only doing that to get ahead. Well, that's not so shrewd. Because everybody knows why you're doing it. And probably the boss knows why you're doing it. A shrewd person says, how is it that I get ahead? How is it that I become successful? And they place their time and efforts in doing that. Politicians will act shrewdly. They'll see what the political winds are, or what the culture is doing, and they'll jump out in front and say, follow me. Well, you didn't have a clue beforehand. You just want to get in the lead of the pack. Or you'll have businesses who will act shrewdly. And they will eliminate the competition so that they have no competition, so that their business will thrive and succeed. And Jesus's point is the people of this world know how to treat one another, know how to get ahead, know how to do these things, but the children of the light, the children of the kingdom, just seem to not have a clue. So, I'm going to give you some clues. We need, and as I don't like the word shrewd, we need to act astutely. So, how is it that we act astutely? Well, I'm going to take one of the samples from this. It's not so much about money, but there are people who have hurt you, who have wronged you, who have said or done all sorts of manners of bad things against you. Be forgiving. And that's shrewd or, or astute in a couple of reasons. Number one, if you are a forgiving person, odds are people that you have been being forgiving will also forgive you. Now, there'll be a couple of people who will hold on and won't be forgiving because you have. That's just kind of the nature. But when you're forgiving to everybody, the odds are most people are going to be see you as someone they want to be around. It's also in your best interest, and I'll tell you why. When Jesus was asked, well, teach us to pray, part of that prayer is, forgive us our debts as, the same as, we have forgiven our debtors. You see, we have a tendency to forget the tension Yes, we are saved by grace, and by grace alone, and that is the only way that we enter heaven. But we also are to hold and be held accountable for what we have done. And God says, you want to be forgiven? Then you need to forgive. And so it is in your best interest to forgive, not only because then God forgives you, but because other people will see you as a forgiving and loving person, which is another way to act astutely be loving. You notice Jesus had all sorts of people who came to him. Tax collectors, sinners, fishermen, even religious people, prostitutes, all those people because they saw Jesus as a person who loved. And not only did he love, he told us To love. And he told us not only to love our neighbor as ourselves, as the Old Testament says, and he told us also to love our enemy and to pray for those who persecute us. He told us to love each other as he has loved us and given himself for us. We need to act astutely and be loving to each other because as jesus said they will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another and there are all other kinds of ways that we can act shrewdly or astutely and we ought to do those things because it's the right thing so he goes and i say to you Make friends for yourselves by means of wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. Jesus is saying, use your money to do good things so that when you do good things, people will see you as a person who is a giver. Now the interesting thing when Jesus tells us about giving he usually doesn't say, well, give to, give to um, as he said previously, don't give to somebody, don't ask them to dine with you if they can turn around and invite you to their party. He says, invite those, feed those who cannot repay. Acting astutely in spiritual matters is not investing in those who can return to you but investing in those who can't return to you because that's what your father does. So when we do these things, when we're forgiving, when we're loving, when we're giving, when we do these things, then people will see that we are disciples of the Lord and that we are children of God. It's interesting that the people of this world will act shrewdly to acquire things that will not last. Bill Gates is a very rich man. So rich that he can give billions of dollars away and still have billions. But there will come a time that he will not be able to take one dime with him. I, well, he'll probably have a better casket than me. But we're both going to end up dead, unless Jesus comes first. I don't know where his final destination is. I don't pretend to be God. I don't pretend to know. But I know he can't buy his way into heaven, because Jesus paid it all. And so, we need to be those people who are shrewd in our dealings in spiritual matters. We should spend at least as much time on spiritual matters as we do temporary earthly matters. Because let's face it, temporary is just that temporary. Eternal is forever. And so my reading of this parable is not to be challenged with the ethics of the manager. And is not to be challenged by the praise of the master. But to see what Jesus is teaching you and me to be astute in spiritual things. And then he's going to make it clear in verse 13, he says, No servant can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Notice he didn't say, well, you can serve... God, 80%, and, and wealth, 20%, or you can get close to 50-50, or 99-1. He's saying it's it's one or the other. You can serve wealth, or you can serve God. By serving God, He can give you wealth, and I'm there are very few people I've known, but there have been some who have been richer than most. They're not Bill Gates rich, but, and their belief that God... Bless them in finances so that they could bless other people with their finances. Just as some people feel that they need to teach children Bible stories and whatever so that they can invest themselves and make sure that that was his ministry. But he acknowledged that God gave him the ability to make money, not for him to hold it, but for him to invest it in others. The scriptures say, which is often misquoted, the scripture says, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say money. It says the love of money. And money will have a way of corrupting us. It's shiny. It allows us to get things that we ordinarily might not be able to get it allows us to have positions that we might not ordinarily have and so it's seductive and god knows that it's seductive so he says you need to serve me or wealth choose the mismanaging manager chose wealth and squandered it god is teaching us be shrewd in spiritual matters. Now, he doesn't say this in this parable, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. You are a manager, God has given you things, God has given you life, God has given you blessings, God has given you homes and families and whatever else that God has blessed you with. We take a look at this person and we think about how unethical he acted. How ethical are we acting with what God has given to us? Because even your breath is not your own. It is given by God. So, We will be giving an accounting someday for those of us who are believers. It's called the Bema Seat. And we'll be rewarded for those things that God has determined that we have done because we sought His kingdom. And we will suffer loss for the things that we hoped to benefit ourselves. Now, the great thing about the Bema Seat is that you still get to go to heaven. And being in heaven by the skin of your teeth is still better than not being. Just saying. But I'm here to say to me, three fingers are pointing back, okay? And to you. If we are to give an accounting. I don't want to have to hang my head in shame and say, yeah, I I mismanaged it. I squandered it. We tend to think that heaven is the great communist state in the sky, where everybody is treated the same. Well, if that's the case, why is there the Bema Seat? Why is there given crowns of, of gold, and why is there... Things that we've done are are qualified as gold and silver and precious stones versus wood, hay, and stubble. There is an accounting that will be done. So I'm here to tell us, me and you, church, if heaven isn't the great communist state in the sky, why don't we become richer than Bill Gates in heaven? Because Bill Gates can't keep it. But when we're in heaven, it will be for eternity. I'm going to end on a joke. There was a lawyer and a pastor who died. And they both went to the gates of heaven and St. Peter met them. And St. Peter said, I'll Personally, escort you to your new abode. So he goes, We'll take the lawyer first. So they went to the lawyers, and it's a 37 bedroom mansion with more bathrooms than that, an Olympic sized pool. Everything's in marble and gold. It's just beautiful. It has grounds that are immaculate. And St. Peter goes, this is your abode. So the lawyer goes and takes his place in his new home. The pastor is excited because the lawyer got that. I can hardly wait to see what I'm gonna get. So the St. Peter takes the pastor to his abode, which is a studio apartment. Doesn't even have a whole bedroom almost like a porta potty. It's just, it's, it's, it's bare. And the pastor goes, wait a minute, St. Peter, I don't get it. I served as a pastor for over 30 years. I didn't take much of a salary. I was always dealing with people. And you know, the people of God are just difficult. And I dealt with them. And I always dealt with them with a smile on my face. I don't understand why did the lawyer get the mansion and I get a studio apartment? And St. Peter says, because the lawyer is the only one we have in heaven we have hundreds of thousands of you pastors. (laughs) So, I don't know what you're going to be entitled to, and I don't know what I'm going to be entitled to. But I want to tell you this. Let's be shrewd in our spiritual matters. Let's think, just as a business person might think, how do I advance my business, that we might think, how do I advance the kingdom? Yeah, I'm tired. And it's Sunday morning, and maybe I'll go to church, and maybe I'm not. Do you think the business owner says, I'm tired? No, no, he's going to go to his business and work it. For those of you who love the uh, Dallas Cowboys, and I don't. But for those of you who do, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, who is now a billionaire because he owns the Dallas Cowboys, said when you're the owner of a business, you will sweep the floors to make sure your business is successful. We need to do that when it comes to the kingdom of God. There is no job too low, no job too high, no job that you're not qualified, and no job that you are qualified. When God calls you, He makes you Able to do. Be shrewd. Think about the opportunities. You see, my wife has an advantage over many of you. She's got to put up with me. So I'm pretty cons- convinced that during the thousand year kingdom, she's going to get a nice house on the beach, someplace like a Malibu or whatever. As I often say, I'll get a 7-Eleven in Barstow. But it's okay. Because she's at a Baker's. Yeah. Well, Bakerfield started to get bigger. Well, so is Barstow. Sometimes that we don't know. Of. But be shrewd. Be keen. Be astute in the business of God. Because I may be wrong that there Heaven may be the great communist state in the sky, but I do know that we will all give an accounting before the BEMA seat. Therefore, let us not be like the mismanaging manager who squandered the opportunity, but to take it and invest ourselves, our time, our talents to increase the kingdom of God because we are not the same having come into contact with Jesus we now have a different emphasis we now have a different goal the goal is not the bank account but to hear well done good and faithful life. And all God's people said,